No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how to boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. Let's go. Afternoon and good evening, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are. It's Friday night, ladies and gentlemen, and you're live with another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Thank you for joining us. As always, tonight's recommended drink is cheap box wine. Tonight's recommended snack, land brand no name crackers. This is the official wine and crackers broadcast. Yada yada. Joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Hope you had a lovely couple of days, because I certainly did. And as always, we've got so much to get through and so little time. Uh, A continuation from Wednesday night's episode tonight. Holy shit! Holy shit! Winning TV, Phil D'Angelo, DLive.TV slash Winning TV. Dropping the fucking guinea on us, sir. Starting it off for the nerds of the politics, yes. Very nerdy. Nerdy show 2.0 tonight, ladies and gentlemen. If, if number one wasn't nerdy enough, then number two is surely going to hit the point home for all those attending. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Ah, So, yeah, if you did miss Wednesday night's show, I do recommend go back, watch the replay. Uh, you can find the replay for the time being on YouTube. The replay is also on Rumble. The replay has attempted to be re- uh, uploaded to BitChute on two occasions now, and it still hasn't worked. Thank you, BitChute. Holy shit! <laughs> Gypsy of Diamonds with the Ninja Gini. Where did you steal the Ninja Gini, Gypsy? Says, bite me, Phil. Ah, see, there's a little war going on in the chat. People, people want to be the first one to open up the floor, the first one to drop a guinea on the show. And that's good because, you know why? Because they're trying to win the approval of their king, me. King King Boogie Bumper of the, the kingdom of Boogie Stan. Thank you for joining us in our little micro nation here in the corner of the internet. Nerd! Thank you for joining us. So like I said, uh, Wednesday night show, go back, check the replay, back with a flashback bang part one, where... We were covering, and we're going to continue to cover tonight, in case you did miss it, just in case you missed it. A quick recap. Um, A a, a clip that to me personally is like pure joy, and like I said, it's very nerdy, from 1998, where we have two journalists, prominent journalists. Winning TV with a diamond, where shall I bite and how hard, Gypsy? Well, you you have to use your imagination on that one. Mr. D'Angelo, Phil, Phil D'Angelo, dlive.tv slash reading TV. Starting to get a little weird now with the donations. Starting to get a little bit weird. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. And of course, I, of course I'm lying. I don't care what you I don't care what you say. Coffee Talk with Sandra with the diamond. dlive.tv slash coffee talk with Sandra. Follow our friend, Coffee Talk with Sandra. So, like I said, Wednesday night, um, a clip from 1998 C-SPAN. And I, because I went down a YouTube rabbit hole one uh, a, a few nights ago, and I came across this clip, and I ended up watching the whole thing. And what was so good about it? So many things are so good about this clip. 
first of all, you've got two brilliant writers, uh, two, two of my favorite writers, one of them a staunch constitutional monarchist, uh, a, a very you know hardliner Christian conservative, and the other a social uh, you know a democratic socialist who's you know all about vice and stuff and but you know they're both they're brothers by the way we're talking about the Hitchens brothers but at the same time just the way things changed some things changed over the last twenty years and some things have very much stayed the same the accusations of bias in the media. And well, for the conservative, it was bias in the media, liberal bias. For the democratic socialist, it's not necessarily liberal bias, but cowardice, right? He he's ashamed of the rest of his um, industry for not pursuing inconvenient truths about the president at the time, that being William Jefferson Clinton, otherwise known as Bill Clinton. So in 1998. The Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal has just started up. The impeachment trial has begun. And like I said, some things never change. There's callers who are calling into this show. And this is where we pick up tonight after we left off on Wednesday. Like I said, I I could go more into it, but we'll end up just explaining everything that we already explained in part one. And if you watch part one, then I'm not going to bore you with that. And if you didn't watch part one, go back and watch part one. (laughs) So let's let's pick up where we left off. One of the callers with that tremendous I just love your show. I just love your show. One of those tremendous southern accents is calling in talking about uh, a recent 60 minutes special where Bill and Hillary Clinton were sitting together and talking about how much they love each other. I, I, again, one of the things that hasn't changed from 1998. Some might say that I'm alone. At the time uh, Democrats and their, you know, their, their protectors in the media were calling all of the allegations against Bill Clinton a right-wing conspiracy theory. And even the left-wing journalist who is on this show at this time was talking about how it's ridiculous to, to suggest that this is a right-wing conspiracy theory and it's a way to dismiss people. And he said, I actually have to give it to the Republicans because they're a lot craftier than I thought they were. <laughs> They've managed to to come up with this elaborate conspiracy theory. Right? Um, you know, we covered things like, you know, have a little respect for your elders when you're talking about politics because if you're a younger person and you notice, like, I'm in my late 30s now and, you know, people my age and older, we've been doing, we've already done this whole routine before, which is what we pointed out in the first episode, like part one on Wednesday night. A lot of these things have already happened before. And you'll be in our position 20 years from now when a new candidate comes along and the 20-year-olds of that time will be saying, oh, this is all, we're going to finally get truth, we're going to finally get justice, and you're going to say to them, we've already done this. (laughs) And they're going to say, shut up, old man, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Because that's the way it goes. So let's carry on. Let's pick up where we were on Wednesday night, ladies and gentlemen. Part two of the flashback with a bang from 1998 C-SPAN. The brothers Hitchens talking about political scandal at the time and the culture, the culture of the corporate media. And this, like I said, the second half of this is even better than the first. So let's go. Welcome. Um, what I was calling about, and and I don't think people are saying it enough, mm-hmm. um, is that. It, it's not the act so much 
um, it's just the lying, <clears throat> you know, that that just continues. One lie leads to another. The um, when they had the 60-minute show, the Stand By Your Man show, on show. Um, 60 Minutes, if they had taken that one step farther and um, it, it, and and told the American people what type of relationship they have, they have a platonic relationship, they have a political <laughs> relationship, um, then just think we wouldn't be having all of this now. And there's so many people. She's, she's talking about uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, by the way. And again, something that's never changed, right? Something that clearly hasn't changed between 1998 and today is the ability for at least some people in the audience to recognise when they're being had, right? When they're being lied to, when they're being manipulated. I've often said before, like, people may not understand the technique of how to lie with style to people or to how to be stylish with the truth, right? They may not understand the writing techniques and the rhetorical techniques that are used, like, to substitute certain words in and lies by omission and stuff. They may not understand the nuts and bolts of it, but the, the ability for the average person to, when they're presented with a piece of material, or whether it's an article or, you know, a fluff piece on 60 Minutes or something of that nature, the ability of the average person to go, mm, that doesn't sit right with it. There's something wrong with this, right? There's an innate quality, at least for some people, to just instantly pick up on it. And, you know, the wisdom, I'm not trying to sound insulting, but the wisdom of the average person Back in 1998, calling up, speaking to either one of these brilliant orators, these brilliant writers, and just the ability for the average person to go, you know what, if they, if Bill and Hillary would come out and say the truth, that their relationship is purely plutonic, like, in other words, it's a scam. It's a scam wedding. Think of um, Kevin Spacey and his wife in House of Cards. The same kind of arrangement, right? I've often thought that that those two characters are based on Bill and Hillary Clinton. I've often thought that. So the ability for the average person to say, you know, I just I just don't believe that they're in love. <laughs> I believe that this is a platonic relationship. And if they would just come out and say that, then I think people would go, okay. <laughs> but of course they can't. And, and now look at the dumbed down, ridiculous reporting of news now that we have today. Look how Look how some things have changed. Because the rot had set it in. Uh, set it in. <laughs> the rot had set in in 1998. The trend towards garbage media had already begun. And it's highlighted multiple times in this clip by both the conservative and the socialist journalists. Talking about how awful the corporate mainstream media is. How they're cowards, right? How they're biased, etc. This was already happening. Look, we've already done this. We've already been here. Let's carry on. Um, in our own families that we know that um, that couples have stayed together for one reason or another. Maybe it's for the children. Maybe it's financially. And, um, and then, it, you know, if he must uh, resort to this activity, um, then do it discreetly. <laughs> but then at least they announced in the beginning. <laughs> see, see, people aren't even... This is a great misnomer of the time as well. Like I said on Wednesday, I was about 16 years old at the time that this story was taking place. 
and I, you know, I remember it in chunks, in sections. But obviously, when you're 16, you have other concerns. You're not just, you know, focused on politics like you would be perhaps when you're a little bit later in life. But I do remember um, the way that the media was, the way that the story was manipulated from day one, right? Because the issue was never, oh, Bill Clinton got his dick sucked by Monica Lewinsky in the Oval Office. That wasn't the thing that people were upset about. That's not what he was impeached for. Because people whitewash history all the time. So... If you see somebody in the corporate press bring it up now, they'll say, oh, remember 1998 when the Conservatives impeached Bill Clinton for getting a blowjob? That wasn't the case. He was impeached for perjury because he lied about it under oath. And he was proven to have lied about it under oath. And again, on Wednesday, we covered it. The the ridiculousness of once the lawyers take hold of something. You know, Bill Clinton's lawyers managed to redefine what... Uh, redefine the meaning of sexual relations to include every single sexual act except the one Happy that Hanukkah, he had, except the one he partook in. Oh. Nothing's changed. Sinister Charlie pipped three dollars. Thank you, sir. Hitchens' debates are epic, and him getting waterboarded was pretty cool too. That's true. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy Happy Friday. Uh, happy Good Friday. Happy Easter. Thank you very much, Sinister Charlie. Yeah, there are a lot of. They didn't debate as much as they probably could have, but they weren't really particularly close either. You know, they were, I think they were, um, how can I say, they weren't combative with each other, you know, but they weren't close either because they're both obviously both very, you know, strongly, staunchly independent people with very different views and probably run in very different circles. So they never really, there isn't that much of them debating. There's a few here and there, but not that much. There could have been more. So, uh, thank you very much, Sinister Charlie, for the tip. If you'd like to leave a tip during tonight's proceedings, by the way, streamlabs.com slash boogiebumper, or head over to DLive, get some of those slippery little lemons and leave those soury little suckers in my succulent fruit bowl. Let's carry on. That what type relationship they had. Thanks. Peter Hutchins? Yes, this is a, a reckless and trivial man who you have as President of the United States. And I think that that's the point about the lying. Lying, oddly enough, I think can be justified in politics. There's the reckless and trivial. I think so. And this is what's always struck me about him. And I think this episode, the importance of this episode to me, is that it brings home just how reckless and trivial he is. Christopher Hitchens, would you use those words, reckless and trivial? It's, it's long been my opinion that Bill Clinton... People read into Bill Clinton and they, they, again, they go back, they look back at history with rose-coloured glasses and they say what a brilliant leader he was, what a tremendous leader he was. I've long held the opinion that Bill Clinton was nothing more than a kind of a very average college student party boy, like the kind of guy who would have worn Hawaiian shirts and done cocaine in the late 70s, right? Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. He wanted to play, you know, he wanted to play saxophone in a jazz band, get high all the time and have lots of sex. He was a party boy. So I often thought that Hillary was always, you know, the kind of the brains of the operation, the driving force behind the operation, who attached herself to this guy in order to further her own. It's just my opinion. Bill Clinton has never struck me as any kind of intellectual of note. Um, any kind of great politician, any kind of unifier or consensus builder. He, he, he didn't push any great policy platforms of, of any kind, right? 
he was just like the kind of, like I said, the stand-in party boy sax player. Yeah, okay, I don't care what we do, you know? <laughs> that's that's the way I've always viewed Bill. And Hillary was always, you know, the, the driving force, the, the rock of the two. But even, you know, back then, the, the, the celebritization, if I can invent a word, of democratic presidents... And you can say, you know, you can. To be fair, you can say the same about uh, Donald Trump. And obviously, the he was already a celebrity when he became president. That's kind of maybe a different thing. Um, but it really started under Bill Clinton, and then Barack Obama took it to another level. Because you remember, Barack Obama used to do commentary for the baseball. He would go on all of the late night shows. That's when culturally, the view of politics started to change. When it became less about, you know these kinds of discussions that you would have in 1998 and more about doing five minute you know grabs on fm radio and stuff sinister charlie saying jfk yes i understand but i think you know general generationally it's too far back to make comparisons to today he would have been the celebrity of then granted fair enough uh you know the fact that he had like i said the other night the fact that marilyn monroe was his bottom bitch that he was doing marilyn monroe on the side probably indicates he's a certain level of celebrity about the guy um but you know media was more awash by 1998 the internet was around in 1998 things had already started to change from you know the news cycle being a few days to the news cycle being a few hours instead we were already on that track trivial um i wouldn't i certainly wouldn't disown them I mean, I think he's a very superficial, very, uh, very shallow, opportunist guy. And yes, um, given that after one's looked at the timeline on this, um, there's no possibility that he can be telling the truth <coughs> about this relationship. I mean, he, with all, all the negotiations he had with her in December are not the negotiations that someone who'd be untroubled by the allegation would make. And we also know that whatever the truth of these matters ever may be, that Mr. Clinton just, just a reminder too, at the time, Christopher Hitchens uh, regarded himself as a democratic socialist. I think that he probably became a little bit more of a libertarian later in life. And as I said on Wednesday, every few years, I go back for a couple of days and just, you know, uh, reinvestigate Hitchens, the hitch. Uh, you know, go back, read a few things, go back and watch a few clips every couple of years or so, just to refresh, you know, because he is that good. Uh, at the time, he was the contributing edit editor for one of the world's biggest liberal publications. Um, he was a known, you know, supporter of the Democrats, you know, in name, I guess. Uh, a very left-wing guy to the left of the Democrats of the time. And here he was on national television. Any opportunity he could get, he, he wrote a book about how awful Bill and Hillary Clinton are called No One Left to Lie To. And it's a great book. You should check it out. For if, if you're somebody, you know, that's a, a pro-Democrat and remembers Bill Clinton in this beautiful light, you should definitely go back and read that book. The, the whole reason how I got to this clip in the first place is because I was having an, a discussion with a friend, a progressive friend, who was, you know, essentially trying to... Sh sharing, sharing something for me to watch, which would be painting Hillary Clinton in a positive light. And I said, well, you know... There's a reason that Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 campaign. It's because she was uh, hated by Democrats just as much as Republicans. 
and this this rewriting of history to turn her into like America's grandmother who was robbed and everybody loves her. It's 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 laughable. I can't partake in it. I can't be part of it. And so I said, you know, what about? Do you remember Christopher Hitchens back in the day? You know, democratic socialist who would just slaughter the Clintons on every possible occasion, every possible opportunity. And I put the question to you, the audience, can you show me now in the corporate media somebody with the stature that Hitchens had at the time, that being an editor at one of the world's most foremost liberal publications? Can you point out to me somebody on that side of the aisle who is willing to uh, go, you know, guns blazing, empty the clip on a Democratic president now? Because I can't find one. I can't find one. And, you know, like I said the other day, I put a tweet out earlier in the week saying, I'm both an anti-fascist and an anti-communist. And once upon a time, that was a relatively unremarkable position to take. But that's where I stand. I'm not, I'm, I'm against fascism and against communism, believe it or not. But now, modern political discussion is such that I'm either called a libtard or a Nazi, depending on who I'm talking to. But that wasn't the case then. So that's one of the things that has changed. But the function of the media and the way that they disrespect their audience and piss in their face, that hasn't changed one bit. And he's actually a guy because, you know, I whenever I bring up Christopher Hitchens, I do get a lot of conservatives and right-wingers who perhaps aren't really, really aware of, you know, the nuance of his various positions and stuff. They say, oh, this disgust he was a socialist, fuck him, he was a left-winger. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he, he was a democratic socialist who wrote books glowing with praise of the founding fathers who spoke about George Orwell and, you know, the, one of the most important things to preserve is the First Amendment, freedom of speech. He later became an American system, uh, system an, an American citizen because he believed he owed it to the country. He, he was a left winger who at the time would give lectures and accuse other people on the left of being gutless cowards because they wouldn't stand up for American culture, right? And people say, oh, he was a shill for George W. Bush. But that's not necessarily true. He was in favour of removing Saddam Hussein because at the time he had a lot of contacts with, you know, the Kurdish underground and stuff. Uh, but he was very much not, you know, a fan of George W. Bush. He believed George W. Bush should be impeached for being incompetent. You know, he hated, you know, um, many aspects of the surveillance state and stuff. So it, people are very quick to judge and they're very... People are very quick to forget. And this wasn't that long ago. And like I said, some things have never changed. But I'm rambling on. We've got so much to get through. Let's go. There's a liar. Um, we know that because of Jennifer Flowers. I'm surprised there isn't more reaction from those who agreed to be gulled, if we put it like that, six you, years ago. You, um, to, the, to his quite, well, I would say quite casual, relatively casual admission six years ago. Yeah, actually, I needed to get elected then, so I didn't tell the truth. Well, now, they, that, that was what they did agree <laughs> to, to do. And there in was, sense, there, there sense, was people, an agreement. Well, have, a, have a listen to this. Do you remember uh, the 2020 campaign slogan, ladies and gentlemen, uh, anyone but Trump? Remember, settle for Joe, settle for Biden. 
See if this sounds familiar. There was an agreement among all these people to give President Clinton a, a, a lot of slack because they liked him, because he was their generation, because he behaved like them. <laughs> and I, I think that that's, that still applies. They knew he was lying then. They're not, that's why they're not surprised or well, outraged by the admission that, was certainly that true the Jennifer Flowers thing was a lie. That was certainly true of the press corps in New Hampshire where I was at the time. They just decided the line of the day is this story is over. We're taking Bill and Hillary's view on Jennifer Flowers. That's certainly true. But the question really is, do politicians um, act in a hypocritical manner about sex for, for its own sake, so to speak, or do they do it because they believe that the public expects them to be hypocritical, or is it the public hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the public, that dictates the, the rest of it? I, I just... God, take me back, take me back, take me back. You know, note how political discussion was not dumbed down in order to be accessible to the dumbest of individuals. And I'm sorry if that sounds crass, but I don't really know how else to say it. I, I don't consider myself to be particularly smart, but I know enough to know that I'm not dumb, if that makes sense. So, you know, this kind of discussion would be rare now, especially in the corporate media, because it wouldn't be, um, you know, uh, is the administration being hypocritical? Is the press being hypocritical? Or are people, the general public, hypocritical, right? You know, turning turning the ire on yourself. You know, a lot of what happens to us happens to us because we allow it. And I think we've lost sight of that because now we live in this state of perpetual outrage where everything is always somebody else's fault. Some things are somebody else's fault, that's true. But, you know, it's long been said that you, you get the government you deserve, and I find it difficult to argue with that. I find it difficult to argue with that. Because now the discussion would not be, uh, does, does the public expect presidents to have these illicit sexual affairs, and are they hypocrites themselves for uh, being angry at it after allowing it for so long? That's not the question. Now the caller would call up and say, Yes, excuse me, Mr. Hitchens. Do you believe that you're a misogynist who hates women? <laughs> right? it, it's just everything is reduced down. Everything is distilled down to the, the lowest common denominator all the time. All the time. And any time you try to bring, uh, bring up any kind of nuance whatsoever, like I said, you, if, if you're speaking to somebody on the hard left, you're going to be called a Nazi. And if you're speaking to someone on the hard right, you're going to be called a libtard. And there's no in-between anymore. It's off or on. It's like the clutch pedal in a NASCAR, right? You know, there's no give in a racing car clutch pedal. As soon as you press it, it's on. The clutch is engaged. As soon as you let go, the clutch is disengaged. That's what we're living in now. Grinding gears between hate, love, hate, love. Nazi, libtard, right? Going from first to seventh gear every and skipping all the ones in between. <laughs> Let's carry on. I think all three could possibly be true. In other words, had Clinton said on that 60 Minutes, look, when Miss Flowers says that I loved her and she loved me, that's all true. Um, it's not true anymore, um, but it was true all right. I think everyone, but, but it's nobody's business but mine. If, if you're not aware, Jennifer Flowers was uh, alleged to have been Bill Clinton's mistress when he was governor of Arkansas. And if you, 
if you're a bit younger on the younger side and you you kind of got into politics maybe in around 2016 or 2017 or thereabouts 2015 that's fine that's great you know welcome to the conversation but there are some things that are worth analyzing especially if you're on the side that believes in like the me too movement and stuff because i'm here to tell you that you've been conned you've been lied to you've been had uh because people of my vintage and and above perhaps uh, remember that Bill Clinton, Democratic president, uh, it wasn't just Monica Lewinsky and it wasn't just the cigar and it wasn't just a blowjob in the Oval Office. Uh, this is a guy who had sex scandals revolving around him his entire public life. And at the time, again, for right-wingers who are um, perhaps distrusting of Christopher Hitchens' true intentions as a Democratic Socialist, he was the only pundit at the time, remembering, again, like that he was at one of the biggest liberal publications at the time. He was the only pundit at the time that I can remember who would even care to bring up the rape accusations against Bill Clinton. 20 years ago, 23 years ago, they were talking about Bill Clinton and rape allegations. And, you know, I did allow myself a wry smile in 2015 and 2016. And you know what? I might have even believed it a little bit myself at the time. I might have allowed myself to believe once again, just a touch. But damn that optimism. Huh? Optimism is a cruel, a cruel seductress. She'll lure, she'll lure you in and then you'll wake up in the morning and your wallet's missing, right? So I might have even allowed myself during 2015, 2016 to go, finally, it's going to catch up to him. But of course it didn't. Of course it didn't. Uh, I, like many other people, got, you know, charged when uh, Donald Trump mentioned it during the debate, right? And I thought, wow, this is a one step we've never gone this far before. But back in 2018, there were multiple, numerous sex scandals surrounding Bill Clinton. And the party of Me Too and the party of Believe All Women, ladies. Lou the good dude with a diamond. Thank you, sir. Someone say Lou. Lou? Lulu? Lululu, <laughs> the party of me too and the party of believe all women you know within my lifetime would make it their duty to eviscerate these women publicly they accused monica Lewinsky of being a crazed stalker who was a gop plant it was all a conspiracy theory um other women who made allegations against bill clinton at the time were accused of being gold diggers paid gop activists uh, sluts, you, know, you, you can you can watch, um, you know, daytime television. You know how we complain about daytime television now, and we say, "Oh, Joy Behar is such a fucking idiot." And, you know, these other people are so stupid, and they come up with these stupid things. Media has never been this bad. It was just as bad back in 1998, but you just weren't around for it. So they would come out and accuse these women of being whores who are lying trying to get money out of clinton it's a right-wing conspiracy all the same things all the same things and if you got into politics in 2015 2016 and you just started learning about the bill clinton stuff you'd be like hey finally he's going to come to justice finally this is all going to come out it already came out we already did this holy shit <laughs> at Real Person PLTCS, who will be live later on tonight, I believe, Pirate Radio, uh, at Real Person PLTCS, Jay Zah says, 
Sorry, blow and Hawaiian shirts in the 80s is still cool. I stand corrected. I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, with the Ninja Gini. Pardon me. Pardon me. With the Ninja Gini. Holy shit. <laughs> yes, blow and Hawaiian shirts. All right. Still cool. Granted, I'll give you that one. <laughs> Let's carry on. I think there would have been a, a gigantic breakthrough. Let's go to it Dennis. Set, set a new standard. But of course, for all kinds of reasons, including... Ah, Lou the good dude with the diamond. Maybe you said Lua with uh, the accent. I don't know. Probably. Possibly true. Lua you in. Lua? Is that how you pronounce your name? Lou? Lua? Okay. Good fisherman. In his own relatively easy resort to lying, um, that wasn't possible. Let's go to Dennis in Texas for Christopher and Peter Hitchens. Go Dennis ahead, please. in Texas. Uh, good morning. I'd like to be able to change the subject here. Uh, and first and foremost, Christopher... You're the greatest. I just think you're uh, absolutely the best <laughs> thing that ever hit. <laughs> Christopher is so cocky that he cannot help, right? <laughs> if somebody goes up to Peter Hitchens and says, I love your work, you're the best thing, I, I think you're the greatest, Peter Hitchens would look back at you as though he were a lobotomized, you know, mental patient staring at a flower in the garden. Like, just would, like, his, his view would be completely unchanged. Whereas Christopher, on the other hand, who always had a more you know flamboyant ego, he ca he can't contain himself, and you just see just the riest, just the smallest of grins, <laughs> because you know Christopher is a guy who doesn't mind hearing that he's the greatest guy on earth, <laughs> which I think is very funny. To change the subject here, and first and foremost, Christopher. You're the greatest. Yeah. I just think you're absolutely <laughs> he gets You know how recently we've been talking about the great exodus from the armed services because of who the president is? Guess what? We've already done that too. <laughs> we've already done that too. Those those talking points, again, have not changed. Have not changed. This shit is cyclical in every conceivable way. I would argue the things that have changed are, are like the intensity of the attacks and the level of gaslighting. Those two have definitely changed. There's more gaslighting now and the intensity of the attacks from the gaslighting has increased. No doubt about it. But the same talking points were around in 1998. The difference was, I think you had a lot more, even though it was starting to change, you did have a lot more people with strong ethics in the corporate media at the time who were willing to step out, you know, step out and empty the clip at somebody on their own side. That doesn't necessarily happen anymore. And, you know, can you blame them? Can you really blame them? Because the intensity has increased. You know, the stupid, the amount of stupid people as a ratio in modern society has definitely increased, probably tenfold. And those stupid people, rather than be ignored, are now celebrated, you know. They're, they're put up on pedestals. The dumbest of individuals with the dumbest political takes are the ones who are pushed out front and centre. And 
and they, they're held up as the heroes. Everybody needs to mimic you. Everybody needs to mimic your opinion. What do you think? Well, I think that uh, having a border is racist. Okay. Thank you. You know, that, that's the level of stupidity that we've, we've come to accept as the norm. But, you know, like I said, the talking point that people are leaving the armed services, same thing happened then. That I'm really concerned about because they are really wanting them and there's jobs available for them. So they're like leaving in mass. And I, I with the, the thing in, with Saddam, I'm not sure that we could handle it, you know? Thank you very much. Peter and Christopher. Start with Peter. I, I think this again draws attention to the to the fact that this is a this is a very bad president of the United States. One of the most infuriating things in Britain when the when the scandal first rebroke last week was so many people saying, "Well, yes, yes, this is very embarrassing, but he has been such a good president." And I kept saying, "Well, why? What is it that he's done?" Uh, the, the United States is weaker uh, in, in 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 world terms. It, its behaviour in 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 geopolitical. Uh, issues has been often foolish. I think its policy towards the Middle East at the moment is quite extraordinarily foolish in <laughs> practically saying to Israel, look, it's all your fault that there's trouble. Therefore, if you carry on shrinking until you eventually shrink into the sea, we will have peace in the Middle East. I think it's amazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> who, wants, who wants first dibs at that one? Peter Hitchens, the conservative. That's a very conservative view. Um, if you're somebody who believes that conservatives in, you know, the Western powers like the United States and the UK and stuff weren't willing, I mean, again, you know, Bill Clinton at the time was being accused of being too radically anti-Israel. Same thing that Barack Obama was accused of, right? And conservatives at the time, staunch defenders of Israeli foreign policy. <laughs> oh, Fantastic. Peter. Now, like I said the other night, when I was younger, I was definitely more uh, Christopher Hitchens fan. Just like I would read more of his stuff and absorb more of his stuff. But as I got older, I appreciated Peter Hitchens takes more. And in this episode, if you go back and watch part one, he's the one who was nailing shit one after another. Like, no, don't expect, you know, Christopher was the one who was thinking, oh, finally Bill Clinton's going to come to justice. Peter was like, no, now the lawyers are involved. It's just going to disappear up its own ass and nobody's going to care. He'll get away with it. You know, he, he was the more cynical one. Now that I'm old enough to look back, I can see that Peter was the cynical one and Christopher was the idealistic one. Tony Blair in town right yes, now. Yes, exactly. Oh, no, Jim N-word in the chat. So his critique of Clinton, one, to be fair, one of his critiques, Jim, of Clinton was not backing Israel hard enough. Very conservative. Wednesday, and apparently the um, the White House press corps have been instructed not to use his visit as an occasion to ask questions about Monica Lewinsky. Norcross, Georgia. Hold on, uh, Chris Richens. Norcross, you're next. Yes, good morning, Brian. This is Norman Wishman. I haven't spoke to you for a long time. Welcome. I did send you this email, but apparently you didn't get Str Strange how they didn't let Christopher Hitchens answer the question about Israel. That's it's peculiar. It's strange, isn't it strange how they only let Peter Hitchens answer the question about, uh, well, you know, didn't let, it wasn't a question, but didn't let Christopher follow up on Peter's point. Very, in very interesting. <laughs> Let's carry on. But I have an article in front of me, and this is particularly for Chris, uh, for Chris Hutchison. That Hutch Jordan Hutchison. Has ties to the Chris Hutchison. Excuse <laughs> mother, and I'll just read part of it. Vernon Jordan has oh, another yeah. connection to my. Now, this guy, this is fantastic. 
because this is like, um, what was the name of that company during the 2016 election? Uh, election, election. Uh, what was it? Blue something? Oh, you know the one. It was it was created by Media Matters, and their job was to kind of get involved in online conversations, or you know whether it's in forums or Twitter threads or Facebook and stuff. And they were getting paid to post and direct the conversation kind of back around to why the de- why the Republicans are awful. So wherever there was a group, like a big Facebook group or a big Twitter group or a big forum group talking about, you know, sharing information, why they hate Democrats and stuff. These uh, Democrat Party employees, for want of a better word, although it was a side organisation, they were hired to go into these little chat rooms and stuff and start directing the conversation away from what they were talking about. Um, you know, again, people like to think that the Democrats are stupid. They're not stupid, but they just couldn't, they couldn't get a handle on it quick enough in 2016. And I think you'll all agree that that changed by the time 2020 rolled around. They learned a lot from 2016. They learned, actually, this won't do. It's not good enough to just have um, one organisation of people getting involved in online conversations and trying to steer them in certain directions. No, no, we actually need to start deplatforming people as well. Share Blue, was it Share Blue? I think it was Share Blue. I think it was Share Blue. So they, and they were kind of started by uh, the guy behind Media Matters, if I'm not mistaken. And that was their job to go around and get involved in these online discussions at the time. Uh, for Chris Hutchison, that Jordan Hutchison. has ties to Lewinsky's mother, and I'll just read part of it. Vernon Jordan. Oh, has sorry, another- pardon me. So the reason I bring that up is because I remember this call. And have a look at this. So first of all, he's obviously a big. This caller is obviously a big fan of the show, right? He's obviously been watching on the edge of his couch, and he couldn't wait to speak to the journalist. Christopher Hutchins, Hutchinson, <laughs> Christopher Hutchinson, otherwise known as Christopher Hitchens. And the point that this guy brings up is he's a Democrat. He's a Democrat from the Northeast. I can tell by his accent that he's from the Northeast. He's a Democrat from the Northeast, and he's talking about how it's all a conspiracy theory, how the GOP planted Monica Lewinsky, right? And how Bill Clinton is a good guy because he's trying to get Hillary, uh, Monica Lewinsky a job at Revlon, you know, the makeup manufacturer? Because this is one of the scandals at the time, that the, the Clinton administration kept trying to offer Monica Lewinsky a job to shut her up. Jobs in the government, she refused all of them. So then he was going to people in the outside, you know, in the private world saying, look, can you, can you please just hire this young lady? She sucked my dick once and she won't shut up about it. We need to keep this quiet. You know, if we, normally we'd kill the bitch, but there's too much heat on us right now. So can you maybe tuck her away in a basement somewhere, get her sought in mail or something like that? I'll make it worth your while. You get an invite to the Clinton, the Clinton Foundation dinner at the end of the year. Everybody's going to be there. King of Saudi Arabia will be there. Representatives from China will be there. You could sell your shit to them. Hell, I'll only even take a 10% cut of the profits. What do you think of that? <laughs> so that was one of the stories at the time. Now, have a listen to this guy. It's like the pre, it's like the pre-4chan share blue poster. Welcome. I did send you this email, but apparently you didn't get it. But I have an article in front of me. And this is particularly for Chris, uh, for Chris Hutchinson, Hutchinson. That Jordan has ties to Lewinsky's mother. And I'll just read part of it. Vernon Jordan has another connection to Monica Lewinsky besides his old friend, President Clinton. He is a longtime friend of R. Peter Strauss, a wealthy New York media executive who was engaged to Lewinsky's mother. 
Marsha Lewis. Now, if a guy, uh, that's probably why he helped her get a job. I just want to stress it. Because <laughs> And what has what little has changed? Now, you can point out to somebody, hey, there might be some kind of cover-up going on here. Oh, yeah, really? Why is that? Well, he's trying to get this woman a job, right? He's trying to get this woman a job. He's using the connection of the mother-in-law or whatever it was to push this woman out of her internship and into this private sector job because there's a scandal, you know, it's been alleged that he was having inappropriate sexual relations with this woman in the Oval Office. And you can present this evidence to people at the time and like our share blue, pre-share blue, you know, um, IRL poster here on the phone, you can show them this information and to them, it, it's a completely different reality. To them, he'll say, well, he was probably trying to get her a job because he knows the mother-in-law. <laughs> He's like, well, no, no. What do you think about, you know, the thing that, the other thing, you know, the president putting his dick in her mouth? What do you think of that? <laughs> it's like, well, he's he's just being a good friend. He knows the mother-in-law. He's trying to get her a job. That's why. Oh, really? Oh. oh. <laughs> you know? So when you try to have conversations on Twitter, for example, and you try to bring, you know, if you're somebody who believes you're going to make big changes in the world, if only people see the facts, then they'll figure it out. If only we present the facts to somebody, all of a sudden their view will change, right? And, oh, now I understand. Now I get it. Oh, it's corruption. That's just not the case. It just doesn't happen like that. Just does not happen like that. Even back then, you could show everybody that... Uh, granted, it's worse now. Granted, it's worse now. But even back then, you could show everybody the facts and they would still just refuse to believe it. They would just construct their own reality to explain it away. Nothing's changed. And again, you know, if you're a younger person, we've already done all this. We've already been here. We've already done this. We couldn't even get a democratic socialist to convince... Uh, you know, staunch Bill Clinton supporters that he was a bad guy. What chance do you as a Republican think you have now when people are dumber, <laughs> right? We, we need a new way of approaching these things. We need, to, we need to come up with a new way to break the cycle because right now we are trapped in a time loop where the same behaviours are happening, where the same government corrupt acts are happening, where the same, um, you know, corporate media shit flinging is happening it's still we need a way to break the cycle and i don't know what it i can't i don't know what it is i don't i don't i just do my little podcast here with a very small audience and i do my best to kind of point out bad journalism and stuff stuff that everybody used to know to a degree but fewer and fewer people care about now and that's that's all i can do i don't know what else i can do let's carry on they say they said that even this this Strauss, who's 74, who owns radio stations and small newspapers in New York's Hudson Valley, when his wife Hudson died Valley. of cancer, Jordan even spoke at the funeral. So now he's friends with with Lewinsky's fiance, who who who, who she's going to get married. So why wouldn't he 
why wouldn't he help anybody? So you say it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, anything? To uh, of course not. It just so happened that he didn't help her until after the president had uh, met Miss Lewinsky on December 28th. That's all. <laughs> Can I, am I finished? No. Did you want to answer, Mr. Uh, Peter Hutchins? I wanted to say this. This was in USA Today two days ago. Right. Nobody has talked about it. The headline is, Jordan has ties to Lewinsky's mother. Listen to it. Now, Listen to nobody's it. Nobody's always talking about it. All you hear about is... Boy, isn't this something that he tried to help? Why did he all of a sudden try to help uh, Monica uh, get a job? Well, here it is. I'm looking at it right in front of me. Mm -hmm. if, if if Chris Hutchinson was was <laughs> Chris Hutchinson. <laughs> See, I mean, you know, how how can you take a guy? If I'm Christopher Hitchens, and if you know anything about Christopher Hitchens, he he detested being called Chris. I've heard him speak about it before. He said, no, I was named Christopher, so that's my name. So you call me Christopher. I don't I don't like Chris. Right? So Christopher Hitchens. If you call Christopher Hitchens Chris Hutchinson, <laughs> then I imagine that Chris Hutchinson, otherwise known as Christopher Hitchens, is is he's probably fighting every morsel and fiber in his being to not just unload on you with a flurry of, you know polemical sword waving and cut you to shreds right there and then and call you what a fucking idiot you are. <laughs> He's being very well behaved. <laughs> Mister, if Mr. Hutchinson would observe the facts... <laughs> oh, really? You don't even know the fucking guy's name, mate. Good luck. Good luck with this. ...was uh, friendly with, with, with another person. And that daughter needed, and that daughter needed help. You mean that Chris? Nobody would try to help her get a job, particularly for friendly. The guy who's going to marry the mother, twitching. Christopher Hitchens. I, I, I see what you mean. Um, I mean, I knew that's interesting, and I'll, I'll look up the clip. I knew already that she became an intern in the first place because she had that connection with someone who was a very heavy-hitting donor to the Democratic coffers, and uh, there's nothing intrinsically wrong in that. I mean, actually, she could have probably got to the Lincoln bedroom under her own steam. <laughs> Well, you're right. It's true that she did have connections, and she probably—what was the term? She probably could have gotten to the Lincoln bedroom under her own steam. <laughs> you're right. You bring up a very good point. She didn't even need these connections in the first place. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Again, take me back. Uh, Carrier monkey in the chat. He was up all night. I bet 9:30 a.m. True. But it was 9.30am on the East Coast. Uh, he was in San Francisco at the time of this interview, so it was 6.30am where he was, which is, he probably went to bed at 5 o'clock in the morning. Because Hitchens was one of the last, you know, unashamedly, uh, unapologetic, old-school journalists. You know, hard-drinking, hard-smoking, up all night, um, disagreeable, hard to get along with if you were in any kind of position of authority would eviscerate you in his columns, like, would just take on anybody. He was the last one of that. Now journalism is not that way anymore. Now journalism is about, you know, being good to politicians so you get access. You know, if you treat a politician well, they'll give you first questions and shit like that. It's about rewriting press releases and not, you know, um, arguing against them. It's, it's a completely different game now. 
now it's the it's the stomping ground of the you know intern aged university graduate of mediocre awards you know because all of the best communications uh students go into private private firms pr firms advertising marketing or they go to work for the politicians themselves and write the press releases that their less gifted classmates are now paid to rewrite and not question. It's just the way it goes. The donation had been big enough. Um, obviously, I don't want life to be so, so cold and um, bureaucratic that you can't ever help out the rich daughter of a rich friend who's also a rich donor. That would be sad. But it seems, and I think I heard Peter try to interject the same point, um, so and it became very clear yesterday when one read the timeline properly that it was only the day after she'd signed the, the requisite affidavit on the dotted line that Mr. Jordan went to Revlon for her. By the way, I want to ask you both quickly. Here is the New Republic, a magazine owned by Marty Peretz, longtime friend of Albert Gore. Cover has a picture of the president and above it the politics of betrayal. What do you think it means? I think it means that they designed that cover a couple of days ago and they probably wish they hadn't now. <laughs> Why? Well, I think that they, the, there was this panic. There was a panic in the Democratic Party that, that Mr. Clinton was going to, to uh, drag them down and that they had to get rid of him quickly. Uh, that moment, I think, has now passed. And what do you I think, think they Chris will now row back from it. Christopher Hitchens, what do you think? I know that the people in the Gore camp have for a long time regarded Clinton with, with contempt. Yep. And um, that in re the recent past, before this business, uh, when Mr. it was Mr. You know, another thing that hasn't changed and something that we've been very strong on this podcast about for a number of years is, and you know, if James is still around, he'll tell you, we, we used to have these conversations on Trust and Verify often. And I would say, you know, and I'm very confident in this view, that take the Australian example, right? So on the conservative side in Australia you have the Liberal Party. And on the, you know, the left side of the political aisle in Australia, you have the Labor Party. But there are conservative Labor politicians and left-wing Labor politicians. And there are conservative, conservative politicians. And there are left-wing conservative politicians. They're, these are what's known as factions. You would call them, I think you would call them caucuses. You know, the Black Caucus, the Freedom Caucus, right? These are factions within the party. But here, the factional warfare is much, much, it's so much more intense because whoever runs the party decides the way the party votes. Over there, there's a lot more independence with individual congressmen and individual senators. They can make up their own mind. That doesn't really apply here. You know, you vote the party line. And if you don't, you're up shit creek. You are, you're in a bad way because they will pull their support from you. They won't fund your re-election campaign and you'll lose. You'll be out. So there's a lot more power with who controls the factions. And it's true in this country. Uh, a member of the Liberal Party, which is our Conservative Party, meaning classical Liberal, uh, a member of the Liberal Party right wing is going to have drinks with a Labour Party Conservative more so than they're going to have drinks with the left wing version of their own party. Right? Th this has always been true. Al Gore didn't like Bill Clinton. Hillary Clinton didn't like Barack Obama. Barack Obama didn't like Joe Biden, still doesn't like Joe Biden, right? These things occur. You know, Nancy Pelosi doesn't like AOC. 
Rand Paul doesn't like Lindsey Graham. These things are true. And with, within their own party, the, the most... Inter- you know, what I got told once from somebody who's worked in politics in this country for a long time is that, you know, the election where people think it's the left versus the right, it's only the left versus the right one day every four years. Every other day, it's the left fighting itself and the right fighting itself to decide who gets to fight the other side at the election. And that that never stops. The factional warfare never stops. So, you know, and people have known this for a long time if they're willing to pay attention to it. And, you know, in a very cursory moment there, Hitchens is explaining that. He's like, well, no, Al Gore and Bill Clinton hate each other. They can't stand each other. But just like today, back then, people would have watched that and gone, what? You know, he's the he's the vice president. What garbage. Of course, the, the, the Clinton-Gore administration presents a unified front. They are together on the big issues. The same thing where people try to tell you about the Biden-Harris administration. It's a lie. It's always been a lie. There is, there is no unity in politics. There never has been. Unity is a myth that is, you know, kind of spread out like chook feed for the rest of us to feed on. But it do, it's not real. It's not true. There's no unity. There's no teamwork but between politicians. They'll align themselves on certain things from certain times because it's uh, it suits them politically to do so. But they don't like it. None of them like each other, really. And, you know, the, the conservative wing of the right-wing party is more likely to have drinks with the conservative wing of the left-wing party than they are people in their own party. It's just the way it goes. Carry on. Who took most of the hits for Mr. And again, if you're a younger person and you're just new to politics, understand this: what's true now was true then, was true before then, was true before then. Clinton's fundraising practices, that, that contempt has turned to something much more like an active dislike. I think they're restrained. Um, during all this period has been extraordinary. I mean, like, not even to their household in the New Republic have they you know, leaked anything um, that, that suggests that they're anything but doggedly loyal to, to a man who's, who's largely, well, I was about to say they don't deserve, you know what I mean, well, has done nothing to deserve their loyalty. The vi- <laughs> all right, I'm going to take a quick um, toilet break. I'll let this run through. We're working our way through it. You're listening to the Friday night edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. So sit back, relax, kick back, and I'll be back soon. The little thing about loyalty is to know exactly when to transform it into treason. And timing is all. And obviously this wasn't the moment. Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina for Peter and Christopher Hitchens on C-SPAN's Washington Journal. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. And good morning, uh, Hitchens brothers. Uh, Greetings from Jesse Helms' country. it's always a pleasure to see the Hitchens brothers up there. Their demeanor, their demeanor is so so different than the normal run-of-the-mill American. Real high IQ, the whole bit. Uh, you know, when they, when they finally nailed Slick Willie, I just wonder that they took the Unabomber, made him have a psychiatric profile to see if he was playing with the full deck. I think when they run the psychiatric profile on Brother Bill, the country will be aghast. Peter Hitchens. Uh, you may well be right. Um, but I don't know whether it's going to come to that. I, 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 th- I think we're a long way short of psychiatric profiles. And I think the, the people who are beginning to refer to this 
uh, this president, as the OJ president, uh, are closer to the likely result. This will be a man who, who lives on uh, in the Oval Office with fewer and fewer people willing to play golf with him. Christopher Hitchens. <laughs> well, um, that's why I said earlier that I think that um, sex and politics uh, are a fit subject, a subject that a journalist doesn't have to apologize for being fascinated by. This, here's the guy who could have said it to himself you know, relatively recently, all those things people like to say, first Democrat re-elected since um, FDR, this and that and the other thing, youngest president since I can't remember who, all that stuff, and, and all this is swirling around his head, and if what I suspect, well, I, that I'm sure of, uh, is true, there must have been a moment when he thought, well, I could throw all that away for what is immediately in front of me for the next five or ten minutes. Um, I mean, it could happen that I'd have to I'd have to forsake all that for this, but I'm going to give it a try. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to risk it. That is absolutely fascinating. It's, it's, the, it's the original definition of classical hubris. I think it, it's, it, should, it should get a more informed and maybe more compassionate speculation than it's been getting. Christopher Hitchens, it's 18 minutes before 7 a.m. where you are in San Francisco. By the way, where are you in San Francisco? I'm just down near the Embarcadero on Battery. And you're teaching across the uh, pond there over at uh, Berkeley? Across the Bay in Berkeley, yes. What, what are you teaching? Well, I'm at the Graduate School of Journalism, and I'm teaching a course trying to show that there is a tradition in America of journalism as literature, which Thomas Paine, Frederick Douglass, uh, Mark Twain, H.L. Mencken, that journalism can aspire to be and can be literature, and that also that's the great tradition of American dissent as well. So you, it's, are, an, it's an attempt to instill um, taste, bearing, and courage and moxie into the um, rising generation. Are you coming back here eventually? Oh, sure. I mean, I must say, but I don't mean to seem um, ungrateful for the hospitality I'm getting in, in Berkeley or in um, Stanford, but um, I, sometimes last week I did wish I hadn't left Washington. Munster, Indiana, in near Chicago. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Brian. Hi. I do hope you got those photographs just scanned to you. Um, what really bothers me more than anything is the timing that this story was broken just before the president gave his speech. And you can't tell me that isn't ugly when they said that they were sitting on this story. And uh, I suppose that's why I'm so angry with the press. Oh, I'm back. I'm back. And I, I'm going to have to go back here because I think I missed a very good part of this. So. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Let's let's see how far back I have to go. IQ the whole bit, and then and then we'll skip to where we were again. And good morning, uh, Hitchens brothers. Good morning, Hitchens brothers from brother. Jesse Helms country. Welcome back, ladies um, and gentlemen. Friday night. It's always a pleasure to see the Hitchens brothers up there. Their demeanor, their demeanor is so so different than the normal run of the mill American. Real high IQ the whole bit. Uh, <laughs> you know when they, when they finally. Nail Slick Willie, I just wonder that they took the Unabomber, made him have a psychiatric profile to see if he was playing with the full deck. I think when they run the psychiatric profile on Brother Bill, the country will be aghast. Oh, yeah! <laughs> you know, let me tell you... <laughs> Well, you know, let me tell you something now. I don't think that Unabomber, I don't think he was that crazy at all. Now, come mention it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't fucking disagree. <laughs> 
I mean, hell, the Unabomber seems like the most sane one out of all of us. They, they did a psychiatric assessment on uh, Kaczynski over there. Just wait until they get a look inside the mind of Bill Clinton. Holy shit, people are gonna, people are gonna fill their britches. <laughs> Fucking fantastic. Imagine, imagine if you were to call up, you know, a, a corporate mainstream media call-in type show today and say that the, you know, Joe Biden is more dangerous than the Unabomber. Imagine the treatment that you would get. Oh my God. It's another white guy promoting terrorism. Of course, that that really didn't exist back in the time. It was taken as a, you know, a humorous yet um, arguable point. You know what I mean? <laughs> now it would just be, oh, you're promoting terrorism. It's a, it is what it is, right? Peter Hitchens. Uh, you may well be right. Um, <laughs> but I don't know whether it's going to come to that. I I. I I think we're a long way short of psychiatric profiles, and I think the, the people who are beginning to refer to this uh, this president as the OJ president. The OJ, uh, the OJ president. <laughs> now, if you're unaware, if you're a younger person and you don't really remember the OJ Simpson affair, then that's going that's something you're going to have to go back and investigate in your own time. Are uh, closer to the likely result. This will be a man who who lives on uh, in the. Oval Office with fewer and fewer people willing to play golf with him. Christopher. Again, he wasn't wrong, was he? Bill Clinton did not get impeached. Well, he got impeached, but he they lost it. They couldn't convict him in the trial. In the Senate. Uh, and he did go on, didn't he? He's still, he's still walking around now, believe it or not probably under the help of fentanyl and a num- number of other sort of pharmaceutical grade substances, but he's still walking around mostly of his own strength, so. Hitchens. That's, well, that's, that's why I said on that's why I said on Wednesday show, I'm often accused of being too cynical. Oh, you're too cynical. You're too cynical, Books. And I was like, well, yeah, that might, I may look cynical to somebody who's not remembering all of the other times we've been let down, you know? And it's, it's not a choice. I'm not choosing to be cynical. Maybe I just am. Maybe I'm just extremely distrusting of politicians when they say things. Maybe I'm just extremely critical of media, so I read it carefully, you know? I, and I take their words at what they mean rather than what they intend or what they imply or what they feel like it means. Maybe that makes me a cynical person because I'm like, do not give these people an inch. You know, I've often said before that if if you're if you're in a if you're in a, a society which is you know maybe a liberal a modern liberal democracy or a republic or whatever, and you believe you're a good citizen if you just agree with whatever ex politician says all the time, you know whatever they say goes, and that that proves that I'm a good citizen. That proves I'm a patriot. I'm sorry, you're doing politics wrong. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. Your job as a citizen is to be hyper-skeptical. Your job as a citizen is to believe nothing that they say. You know, look at it this way. Don't make it your job to prove a politician is lying. Make it their job to prove to you that they're telling the truth. Start there. Start there and you'll be amazed how things look a little differently in a very short space of time. 
it's you know the American founding fathers believe I I I don't want to fucking lecture Americans on their founding fathers but I've had to on occasion when people accuse me of being a traitor because I'm not agreeing 100% with what a particular politician says I'm say I'm sorry your founding fathers believed that in order for the system to work you need to be skeptical of government at all times have you not read the fucking documents have you not read you know, the Declaration of Independence. Have you not read the Bill of Rights? Have you not read the Constitution? This is the fucking deal. You're not here to coast along and just be part of the crowd and go along with whatever a leader says. You're supposed to do the fucking opposite. That's why it worked for so long. That's why you are a superpower. That's why you are in the position you're in because all of the people previous, that's the way they approached it. And now, you know, it makes me sad because I get accused of hating America and being anti-American and all of this shit. It's all fucking bullshit. It's garbage. It makes me sad now that, um, you know, the, the only country on earth that was founded essentially from the ground up instead of the top down, which was founded on like staunch individualism and entrepreneurism and free market capitalism where people said here's a list of the things that the government isn't allowed to do as opposed to things that the government is allowed to do to us it's the only time a country's been founded in that fashion and it 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 makes me sad it makes me upset and angry that you look at so many people now yeah well you know what fuck who cares about privacy as long as they're keeping me safe well whatever my politician says that's the way i should vote because he's a good guy and i like it so it's just It represents the death of uh, civilization, as far as I'm concerned. It represents the death of the United States, at least, you know, um, spiritually more than anything else. Maybe the military might is still there. Yeah, and maybe the, the, the economic pull is still there. But in terms of, you know, the responsibility of the average citizen to not be a sheep, to not just go along with something, and to be skeptical of their elected officials at all times, uh, that's, if it's not dead, then it's on life support. You know, maybe a faint heartbeat only, but no signs of life other than that. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, that's why I th- said earlier that I think that um, sex and politics uh, are a fit subject, a subject that a journalist doesn't have to apologize for being fascinated by. This. Here's the guy who could have said it to himself, you know, relatively recently. Oh, oh th- this this is good. <laughs> this is this is classic Hitchens insult right here. Th- this is how uh, Christopher Hitchens insults you with you know polite <laughs> with polite tenacity. <laughs> Here's the guy who could have said it to himself, you know, relatively recently. All those things people. Uh, Gary Vance in the chat says almost as bad as Australians. Well, there's a difference here, Gary. This this country was founded by criminals for criminals and is run by criminals. So we expect to get screwed every step of the way. It's a completely different system here. <laughs> I mean, if you live in a country that was literally founded by criminals, uh, you have to expect to get rorted. <laughs> it's just everybody's always trying to steal from you all the time. <laughs> But ho- hopefully you see my point. Hopefully you understand my point with that um, rant about, you know, the state of current day American politics and, you know, how people refer to it. 
I hope you see that it's not coming from a place of uh, negativity. Yeah, some people don't, and you know, more fool them. But whatever. I'd like to say, first Democrat re-elected since um, FDR. <laughs> so this, this is what Bill Clinton could have been. <laughs> fascinated by this, here's the guy who could have said it to himself, you know, relatively recently. All those things people like to say, first Democrat re-elected since um, FDR. Yeah. This and that and the other thing, youngest president since I can't remember who. All that stuff and, and all this is swirling around his head. And <laughs> if what I suspect, well, that I'm sure of, uh, is true, there must have been a moment when he thought, well, I could throw all that away for what is immediately in front of me for the next five or ten minutes. Um, I mean, it could happen that I'd have, to, I'd have to forsake all that for this, but I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> God, I miss him. Can you imagine what he would have been saying these days? God. <laughs> Just the ways. Like, anybody who has a strong command of the English language, I'm instantly going to be a fan of. Anyone, anybody who can turn a phrase, I'm going to be a fan of. Anybody who speaks with very descriptive language, I'm going to be a fan of. Even if I don't agree with necessarily the point that they're making, right? <laughs> <laughs> he did have a way of destroying people, which was just cut right to the bone, you know, <laughs> in a very short space of time. Here's a guy who could have had all of these achievements. That's his way of saying that Bill Clinton is an idiot. <laughs> he doesn't just say Bill Clinton's an idiot. He says, well, he could have been remembered as the youngest president, Democratic president since FDR and all of these other achievements. But here is a man who was presented with, well, I could have all of that. Or I could trade it in, all in for what's directly in front of me for the next five, ten minutes. <laughs> and he said, why not? We'll have a go. We'll have a crack at it. <laughs> As if to illustrate the short-term, you know, thoughtlessness of Bill Clinton, whom at the time, remember, the entirety of the corporate media complex was supporting as being such this great president uh, who was the victim of a GOP conspiracy theory and smear campaign by gold-digging sluts who were stalking him. That was the story. And nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. I'm, good, I'm willing to risk it. That is absolutely fascinating. It's, it's, the, it's the original definition of classical hubris. I think it, it's, it, should, it should get a more informed and maybe more compassionate speculation than it's been getting. Christopher Hitchens, it's 18 minutes before 7 a.m. where you are in San Francisco. By the way, right, where are you in San Francisco? This story would have been ugly no matter when it broke. It was the timing. They knew this would be. Okay, so now, you know how these days all of the Democrats, well, not all of the Democrats, let's be fair here, uh, a big chunk of sort of Democrat supporter base believes in the corporate media. You know, everything other than the corporate media is fake news, right? Uh, they're trustworthy, they're responsible, they're authoritative. And if you don't think that's true, then just look at the various tech companies who literally put places like CNN and MSNBC into a special column called authoritative news sources and then push it to the front of your news feed if you're on Facebook or Twitter or what have you, right? So it's not that's because people will say that alone is a conspiracy theory. And I'm like, well, the richest, the richest company, the, the biggest corporation on planet Earth, Google, which has an economy larger than most countries, believes 
uh, these particular sources are authoritative and need to be pushed to the top of search results. So I'm not making it up, right? Yeah, exactly, misinformation. <laughs> so that's the case now with these authoritative news sources, right? And the case now is, you know, a whole bunch of people will defend these authoritative news sources who are who are apparently against authority, but that's another issue. They'll defend these news sources and say how good they are. But during 1998, when it started to come out, when media started to report on this, even very lightly, because they were afraid of upsetting Bill Clinton at the time, when they started to, you had to report on it, you know, at least in some way, shape or form, if not just to call the women who are making the accusations gold-digging sluts. That might have been why you're reporting on it, but you still had to report on it. Here we have a, you know, an obvious Democrat voter, which is fair enough, saying that the whole point, the whole outrage about this story is that the media held onto it for a year in order to release it during the State of the Union address. Now, if you're not aware, if you go back to, I think it was 1990, it was early 1998, uh, Bill Clinton's State of the Union address was apparently marred by all of these conversations going on in the background. And Democrats were very upset that the media had brought up these allegations and these scandals before the State of the Union address because they felt like that was that was a disrespectful thing to do to the president. What has changed? The same silliness applies now. An ideal time to do it. Who's they? The gentleman that broke the story. Yeah, well, no. First of all, the Time magazine sat on the story. For, they, they bragged about it, stating that they knew it for a year. And that's what really bothers me. This well, do you mean you'd rather have had it come out in time for last year's State of the Union speech? <laughs> the State of the Union speech was, in my opinion, truly marred by this. And you know oh, it was. Thanks. Well, I do know it was, but I don't, I don't accept responsibility for the marring, as I'm sure no other reporter does. I mean, if... Look, can I, I, can I try and put it this way for you? Had it, it... You described the Newsweek, actually, not Time, as sitting on the story, well, and perhaps having wind of it for at least a year. Well, if they hadn't sat on it, as you put it, it would have come out in time to spoil last year's State of the Union speech for you. I, I mean, even, even little things like this just strike me. Um... The fact that the Democratic Socialist editor of Vanity Fair is referencing and complimenting Newsweek. Think about it. just Just take that on board. Right. You know, a contributing editor to one of the most form... the One of the foremost liberal publications of the time, Vanity Fair, he's on C-SPAN talking about what a great job Newsweek did. You would never say... Show me one article in modern day Salon or Slate who are like the kind of online equivalents. Vanity Fair was a much higher brow publication and still is, to be fair. But uh, find find me, find me a journalist with that kind of uh, you know intestinal fortitude who'd be willing to co- to even acknowledge reporting on the other side. No, it's that's all fake. That's all misinformation. It's all fake news. All of it. And again, you know, I'm sorry to keep harking back to Trust and Verify, but it was it was a show I did with uh, James for a couple of years. We should probably get together again, just, you know, just have a chat, maybe like a one-off or something. But, um, you know, this is something we, we only used left-wing sources on that show for a reason. For a reason. It's because, you know, my thinking on that was 
if you bring a Fox News clip or a CN, uh, pardon me, or a Breitbart article or, you know, a Gateway Pundit or something like if you bring anything that's even associated with that, it's just going to be instantly dismissed. So how do we avoid giving people, how do we avoid behaving in a fashion that somebody who would like to be our opponent, how do we avoid giving them what they want? It's we, we give them the sources that they hand us and say, look, if you read it this way, if you look at this fact, if you look at the way you're being manipulated here and we prove it, then it takes, you know, it takes the one wood out of the golf bag. Yeah, and I think that's worth doing. I've always read um, things I disagree with more than I've read things I agree with because I don't need my own opinion repeated back to me. It doesn't make me feel morally superior. It doesn't make me feel like I'm in a majority. It doesn't make me feel special. Quite the opposite. It makes me uncomfortable. If I'm in a room full of people who all agree with me, then I feel I feel like somebody should be disagreeing with us. Somebody should be saying something to the contrary because we're probably missing something. You know what I mean? If I walk into a room and there's 99 people there and they all say, uh, you know, the, the, the paint on the wall is red, I'm going to look for reasons why they would be wrong and say, hang on a minute, this is like a cult. What the fuck is going on here? I'd say, well, it's not really a red, it's more of a maroon. <laughs> Oh, this guy's crazy. He can't even tell red from maroon. I don't know. It's clearly, it's, it, we'll call it perhaps a deep scarlet, but I'm not calling it red. You can all get fucked. That's the way I'm going to behave because I just makes me uncomfortable to be in a place where everybody's agreeing all the time. And that's really, you know, one thing that we have lost from the late 90s. Again, here we have, you know, a democratic socialist writing for one of the biggest liberal publications at the time, openly uh, not just criticizing a democratic president, but saying he's the worst president who's ever lived. He was a rapist, a corrupt, scandalous, um, pathetically average, unintelligent fraud. That's, you know, to put it mildly. And that wouldn't exist now. Fact is, this, the timing of this is very, very little in the control of the, of the press. What I think you would have said in that case was that they had um, released the story before they really checked it, before they were sure it was true. And it must be said for most of the press uh, that they've been, if anything, far too uh, restrained in covering this kind of thing. And more appropriate. Michael, Michael Isakoff, the reporter in question, in effect gave up his job at the Washington Post after a dispute because they wouldn't run anything about the Paula Jones allegations. He took himself off to Newsweek. Newsweek so again, just a little bit of background. The guy who broke the story was at the time working for the Washington Post who refused to, again, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? The Was what? The Washington Post? Yes, in 1998, the Washington Post refused to publish a story that one of its journalists, one of its leading political reporters at the time, a guy named Michael Isakoff, who later became in, involved in some other scandal I'm not aware of. But at the time, you know, he tried to break this story about Bill Clinton and his sexual scandals, and the Washington Post blocked him. So he left. He quit. He quit and went to, from the Washington Post to fucking Newsweek. To Newsweek. Right. Right? In order to break the story... That, that doesn't happen anymore. 
very nearly denied him his great scoop, um, but because it was, for various reasons, afraid of being accused of being irresponsible. I really, madam, if anything, the press has been only too willing to uh, spare the president embarrassment, and such embarrassment as has fallen on him is entirely, entirely self-inflicted, as I know you know, and I could tell from your voice. Peter Hitchens. Well, the essential <laughs> truth of this story was known long ago, and I think if you're talking about timing and inappropriate timing, the real sadness is that this discussion was not had before the last presidential election, in time for the American people to pick somebody more fitted for the job of President of the United States. <laughs> Again, what's changed? What's changed? I mean, shit. I don't have to go that far back to find another example of this. You know, circa 2019-2020. The New York Post article about Hunter Biden. Restrict, delete, ban account, subdue, suppress oppress, block, right? And then what happens? What, a few days after the election? Oh, sorry, we were wrong about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Do you remember the polls that were coming out after the election? You know, like 70% of people who were asked about the Hunter Biden affair who had no previous knowledge of it before they voted said they would have changed their vote if they had a no. <laughs> 1998, ladies and gentlemen. Well, if you're going to criticise the timing of the media, because apparently, because this is a Democrat caller who believes all of corporate media, you know, the Washington Post and Newsweek and stuff, she believes that they're in a conspiracy against Bill Clinton at the time. This is what people believed. And she has a, a, a Democratic Socialist on the panel explaining to her that, no, actually, they're all, they're all on your side. That's why they didn't report things. That's why they lie. Because they're cowardly scumbags. <laughs> oh, I love it. That reminds me of our Book Notes guest on Sunday night. This book is brand new. It has just not even in the stores yet. And we'll have the first interview with yeah, The American it. Spectator, etc. Et Are you saying it came because of the Thomas hearings? It, yes, it came because of the oh, telling what all of this is all about. This all stems from the Thomas Hill uh, hearings and the right wing at that time including jerry falwell who did the clinton chronicles uh terrell the guy who came in the american spectator etc et are cetera. you saying it came because of the thomas hearings it yes it came because of the uh sexual abuse law sexual harassment they said they were going to get rid of that law and they were going to take anybody down with it they could what do you th what, would you th what, what, what would you let me ask you this what would you think if what they're saying about the president turns out to be true I don't care if that's what you mean. I, you, it's not going to be true. Okay, but go back to the... It's, I tell you, it's not going to be true, and I don't care. And right-wing media is behind this. You know, if you're a younger person and you're having a difficult time convincing people of, you know, certain, you know, undisputed facts, why, why do we on this show? When we show, like, um... Like when I show you protest marches, for example, and people are waving around banners like 5G will give you cancer, um, you know, there's there's children in underground fucking sex tunnels and stuff. 
What have I always said on the show? I've said on the show, it doesn't even matter if you're right. Does not matter. Because that's not the way that you can convince people. People see that and they will switch off. And they'll say you're being ridiculous. Because in reality, you know, take this woman, for example. She's just admitted. She's saying that it's all bullshit and it's a conspiracy theory. And the host asks her, what if it turns out to be true? And she says, I don't care. I don't care. Right? You know, this is the folly of trying to argue. I know so many people who have lost their Twitter accounts by getting into arguments on Twitter. Just stop. You're wasting your time. You're not going to convince anybody. They don't care. It's worse now than it was in 1998, but it's still there in 1998. So, you know, again, when I'm not, when younger people listen and like I'm a little bit older, and I'm not trying to turn this into a generational thing. I'm really not. That's not what this is about. It's just about showing people how little we've changed, how little things have changed. In reality. And it's it's not giving up or anything like that. It's just understanding that the thing that you're trying to do now, we've already tried. We've already tried to do it like that. And it didn't work then. And it's not going to work now. And it won't work in the future either. We are stuck in a time loop where the same behaviors keep coming back and the same reactions keep coming back. It's programmable. It's predictable. Don't be predictable. Don't give your opponent what they want. <laughs> and if it, if it was as easy as just saying so, then we wouldn't be here in the first place, would we? It's just welcome aboard. You're now you're you're all now sharing in my Cassandra complex, and you are now aware of the future and unable to stop it. <laughs> Enjoy. Happy Friday. And the the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill thing. Did you care about that? Now this was mentioned a lot. This was mentioned a lot, um, you know, during the last couple of election cycles. The Clarence Thomas. Remember when they were going after Brett Kavanaugh, and they said, "Well, this is the this is what the Democrats do. They go after Clarence Thomas." Now this is a fantastic take from back in 1998, referencing Clarence Thomas, which was a lot closer to 1998 than it is to 2021. I cared about the law that was there. I cared that Hill was like forced to testify. She didn't do it voluntarily. You know. Uh, Did you care about the issue of the relationship between Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas? Not really. Okay. But what I what I do care about is someone like Paula Jones using a... T- to that end, I've got to give her credit because I don't care either. I've never, I've never cared about um, the sexual exploits of elected officials. Never. I don't care who they fuck or what they... F- as long as, you know, as long as they're not raping kids or something. Obviously. Uh, any kind of consensual sexual relationship between um, elected officials completely doesn't bother me. In fact, I don't want to know anything about the private life of an elected official. I sincerely don't. And I think shame on us for spending so much time on that. You know why? Because it turns politics into women's magazine-style gossip. Right? It, it, it turns politics into a discussion of um, what he's a good guy because he loves his wife and she's a good politician because she has two kids and, and none of that has ever been relevant to me at all. I would pu- I purely care about 
um, their function as, a, you know, in their job as an elected official. I don't care if they clock off at the end of the day at 5 p.m. and they go home and have sex with a cantaloupe. I don't care. I don't care. And I never have cared. I didn't care about Bill Clinton getting a blowjob in the Oval Office. I don't care about Donald Trump having sex with possibly, potentially, probably every, um, you know, Miss America pageant winner for the last 25 fucking years. I don't, I don't care. I do not care. And when we, when we hyper-focus on that kind of stuff, it turns the real stuff into the comical and it turns the comical into the real. And I don't like it. I never have. But, you know, (laughs) maybe it's because I don't care that maybe it's because I don't care why my next point, which I'm about to tell you, irritates me so much. Because I remember Bill Clinton, sexual affairs, sexual scandals and stuff. Democrats at the time saying, stay the fuck. It's none of your business who he has sex with. Why are you so uptight about a blowjob? Blah, blah, blah. All these fucking conservatives with their bullshit family values, yada, yada, yada. All the usual attacks. And then fuck me dead, 2016 rolls around. I'm now, by the when 2016 happens, I'm in my mid-30s and I've been watching politics, you know, as long as I can remember because it was a topic of discussion in the house growing up when I was a kid. So it's always been there. I've always been interested in it. And then 2016 rolls around and the same the same people are now telling me why I need to get upset about Donald Trump and who he puts his dick in. And I, I was always like, hang on, you're the fucking, you're supposed to be the ones who say it's none of our business. Who cares who he fucks? It doesn't make a difference. What different? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, he's a, dis- it proves that he's an awful person of bad morals. And, you know, when those moments happen, Again, not trying to turn it into a generational thing, but when those moments happen to you later in life in future elections, you're going to have the same reaction I have. It's going to be a, a, a sigh and a groan, and you're going to think to yourself, "I can't believe that people are this hypocritical and this stupid." And then you'll try to, you'll like my earlier point, you'll point out the facts to them and say, "Well, look, here's what happened. Here's what happened," and they'll tell you, "I don't care. I don't care. Who cares about that? It's my guy versus your guy." Which goes back to Christopher Hitchens' earlier point. Do we deserve this? Are we the hypocrites? Do we expect politicians to act in in bad ways because they are essentially, you know, power-driven people? And are we hypocrites for getting angry when they do? I think he's right, 100% right. And I always have thought that. Because clearly, you know, with a couple of these big sort of generation-defining moments under my belt now. One, when I was in my late teens, and again, like I said on Wednesday Night Show, when I was in my late teens, I believed I was a communist. I was a left-winger, hardcore left-winger. For maybe like three or four years of, you know, late teens and into very early 20s, it was just long enough for me to decide that I didn't like what the hard left was, right? It was just long enough for me to decide. When they started with the uh, I hate America shit, which I've never agreed with. When they started with uh, a lot of the racist shit, um, you know, everybody who's white is wrong because they're an oppressor, blah, blah. When it started up with that, I'm like, hang on, this is not what I believe in at all. At all. When it, when they started like, oh, we need to ban people from speaking and stuff. It's like, no, no. See, my, my thought was always back then, 
don't ban somebody from speaking. Go up there and outnumber the people who like them. You know what I mean? And just just go to an event. Go to events that you disagree with. If there's somebody speaking on a university campus somewhere, don't pick at the doorway to stop people from getting in. Go there and show them that there's more of you than there are of them. That's the way to do it. Don't stop them from speaking. You want them to speak. You want to show that you can stand there and listen to, you know, what they say and disagree with them and stand against it, right? Oh, no, no, we need to start shutting shit down. When all of that stuff came to light, that's when I realised I'm not one of you at all. Definitely not. And of course, like I said, I was a young, very, 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 very young man, if you could even call me a man back then. I was a kid. Like, I was a dumb fucking 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old kid, so... And I think a lot of kids actually go through like a hard left stage in their upbringing. It's, you shouldn't, you know, if you did, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. Um, you got to learn how they think. And hopefully you got to learn how they think to the point where you realised that you didn't like it and it was enough for you to leave. And give you a new motivation, perhaps. But anyway, let's carry on. We're getting to the end of the show. Here. Tool that working women in this country need badly, which is the sexual harassment law, and turning it into something trivial because she was propositioned. Harassment does not come from a one-time deal where you can say no and it's over. <laughs> well, that's we just saying that sexual, sexual, sexual harassment claims can only be lodged against Republicans. Uh, it's ridiculous. I didn't say well, that's, that's, the, that's the implication of this. No, What's source for the goose is source for the gander. What's been happening in this country for years is that whenever any, any Republican has, has risen to power or attempted to get confirmation for the Supreme Court, oh. if there's been the slightest opportunity to pursue them with a special prosecutor uh, or to nail them with sexual harassment, that's been done. And all the Democrats have said, fine. As soon as the thing is used against a Democratic president, everybody cries on face, says, look at this prosecutor, look at this right-wing conspiracy. You can't have it both ways if you're, if, if, if you're going to pursue people in this fashion. And this was opened up. New Morgan, by New It's at this point I want to reiterate that you're not listening to a clip from 2016. You know, you're not listening to a clip from 2017. <laughs> this is 1990 fucking eight. Read them and weep. Hey, guess what, kid? We've already done this. Guess what? We've already been here. Guess what? We've already we've already had the exact same conversations. To a, to a word. We've already done this. <laughs> One more time from 1998. Lodged against Republicans. Uh, it's ridiculous. I didn't say. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the implication of this. No, What's source for the goose is source for the gander. What's been happening in this country for years is that whenever any, any Republican has, has risen to power or attempted to get confirmation for the Supreme Court, if there's been the slightest opportunity to pursue them with a special prosecutor uh, or to nail them with sexual harassment, that's been done. And all the Democrats have said, fine. As soon as the thing is used against a Democratic president, everybody cries on face and says, look at this prosecutor, look at this right-wing conspiracy. You can't have it both ways if you're, if, if, if you're going to... Look at this conspirator. Look at this right-wing conspiracy, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I don't know, madam, if it struck you as it has me. Um, 
uh, in this way. But uh, do you notice Mr. Gingrich trying to bring the president down? Do you see, do you sense a desire among the, the right-wingers in the, in the House and Senate to get She's rid of... Th this is fucking fantastic. And we might make this like the last little section. There's still probably another 15 minutes of this clip to go. And I've got to be honest, um, the people who reached out after Wednesday, I thought that nobody would like doing this. And really, Wednesday's show was just self-indulgent for me because I enjoyed watching this clip so much and I wanted to share it with you why I enjoyed it. But hey, it's my fucking podcast. I'll do what I want. Right? Um, <laughs> but a few people got in touch and said that they really enjoyed sort of going back into the archive and looking at this older clip and said we should do it more often. So we will. I, you know, if I, I'm not going to actively plan for it. Like I'm not going to say Wednesday is old clip day or something because then the pressure's on and then I'll get a then I'll get a bad clip and it won't work. But if I come across one, then we'll definitely do it again. Absolutely. So uh, let's carry on here. Turned against you, Christopher Hitchens. Um, I don't know, madam, if it struck you as it has me. Uh... That's the implication of this. No, What's source for the goose is source of the gander. What's been happening in this country for years is that whenever any, any Republican has, has risen to power or attempted to get confirmation for the Supreme Court, if there's been the slightest opportunity to pursue them with a special prosecutor uh, or to nail them with sexual harassment, that's been done. And all the Democrats have said, fine. As soon as the thing is used <laughs> against a Democratic president, everybody cries unfair and says, look at this prosecutor, look at this right-wing conspiracy. You can't have it both ways if you're, if, if, if you're going to pursue people in this fashion. And this was opened up Newburgh, by Newburgh, Democrats. Indiana, You've got your, to have it back. Your response? Okay. Okay. Law was not even on the books then, sweetie. She called him sweetie. <laughs> the law was not even on the books then, sweetie. How do you think um, a chap that you know, like Peter Hitchens, may respond to somebody disagreeing with him whilst calling him sweetie? Press one in the chat if you think he'll take it with uh, good graces. Press two in the chat if you think that it makes him uh, very vindictive in a very British way. British way. <laughs> winning TV with a diamond. Thank you, Winning TV. And by the way, tomorrow night, uh, dlive.tv slash Winning TV at about 8 or 9 p.m. for Winning TV. I fucking love this shit better than sex. I was the same, man. When I watched this clip, you know, earlier in the week, I was just, I thought, this is so good. I, I, I have to do this on the show because I'm having so much fun watching this old clip. <laughs> More twos than ones in the chat. No, no, no. Uh, he takes it the way an educated British man would uh, by masking his contempt and fury beneath a bed of well-phrased um, passive-aggressive insults. I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> Listen here, sweetie. Oh, sweetie, really? <laughs> well, listen to me, you you mewling quim. <laughs> you know, get a grip. Well, it's not a matter of whether the law was on the books. I'm talking about the method being used here. It's the, the if you don't like the way the democratic process is going for your guy, then you can use these things against uh, your enemies. But if if your enemies then use them against you, they're unfair. That's a ridiculous way to proceed. If you if you forge a weapon for use in the political battle, don't be surprised if it gets turned against you. Filibuster? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, Fifty-one senators for Supreme Court nominations. Anybody want to take that one?
Uh, Communications Act, Section 230. Anyone want to take that one? Patriot Act. Anyone want to take that one? Yeah. How about accusing everybody of racism? Want to take that one? Bigotry. Sexism. All of the isms. Want to take a shot? Want to have a crack at that? (laughs) But what's great about this is um, because Christopher Hitchens' response, the Democratic Socialist, here's the thing. They're both right. They're both right. And again, this harkens back to a, you know, a different time where the, the, the most staunch Christian conservative could agree with the most staunch left-wing democratic socialist on a particular issue. And now you have people who are oppositional for the sake of it. The, the example I bring up for that is, um, you know, for, for Australian friends, the example I'll bring up is when Tony Abbott became Prime Minister after ousting Kevin Rudd, after drawing with Julia Gillard, who was replaced by Kevin Rudd, who was replaced by uh, Julia Gillard. Uh, it's it's a very it's a bold and a beautiful style storyline is Australian politics and who the prime minister is. But anyway, putting that to one side, uh, when Tony Abbott was elected prime minister and he tried to pass certain things through the Senate, the Greens Party and the Labor Party were voting against. Uh, uh, you can go back and read the fucking files. You can read the logs from Parliament. The Labor Party and the left were voting against bills that they previously tried to introduce. They were voting against things that they have argued for years for. Why? Because the other guy was doing it. Because the other guy said, you know, actually, you know what, left-wing voters, um, we like what you what you presented here. We like this idea, actually. This is a good idea. So let's do that. And the left said, no, reject. They, they had a policy, vote no on everything. Vote no on everything. You know why? Because two years down the line, they can say that uh, Tony Abbott hasn't been able to pass any laws. Sound familiar? I mean, it's, it's a political tactic. They were voting against things they want in order to say that the guy who won couldn't pass anything. When they're in opposition, they say, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. And when the person... This is a lesson for conservatives in governments. This is a lesson for right-wingers in politics. Here's the thing. There are two, you know, there are two undeniable truths about being in politics in your position, right? The first one is never bluff a left-winger when it comes to spending. Never. Never, ever, ever. Because if you come out and say, we will spend $100 million on education, the left winger will come out and say, we need to spend $200 million and the conservatives are ripping $100 million out of the future budget, right? Don't come out as a conservative and say, we need to take half a million refugees because the left winger will say, we need to take a million refugees. The conservatives are blocking 500,000 uh, hard-working refugees from coming to this country because they're racist. So, so don't try. That's not the way it works. I've been watching this long enough now, and this clip should prove to you that, you know, uh, some things never fucking change, and that's one of them. 
So they'll always try to bluff. Never, never try to tr try to bluff a left winger. And now I forget the fucking second point, which I should, because I'm off track and I'm tired. <laughs> Hang on, oh, it'll come to me. Back. Your response? This law was not even on the books then, sweetie. Sweetie. You know, get a grip. Well, it's not a matter of whether the law was on the books. I'm talking about the method being used here. It's the, the it, you, if you don't like the way the democratic process is going for your guy, then you can use these things against no, no. your enemies. But if, if your enemies then use them against you, oh, then... And, and the, the other point goes, you know, generally speaking, it goes to appeasement. It goes to appeasement. Because... They will they will vote against things that they want in order to show the world how awful you are. And you know, I'm not I'm not even really sure how you combat that. I, I'm not. I wish I had an answer. If I had an answer, then the right wing of politics wouldn't have been so culturally raped as they have over the last 50 or 60 years. Which they have been. And, it, you know, this, like I said, ha having been through this cycle a couple of times now, I, I can tell you there's a reason that you keep on losing, that we keep on losing. You know, I'm not a conservative. I'm, I'm definitely not a socialist. I'm definitely not a fascist. I'm definitely not a communist. I, I'm definitely not a neocon, right? But there's a reason that the right side loses culturally, and those two, those two immutable laws of being a conservative in politics, I think, explain a lot. Never try to bluff a left winger when it comes to, you know, budgets, and and never try to out virtue signal because you're you're never going to win. It's always going to end badly. Because they will literally vote against things that they want just to make you look bad. And, you know, I, and I'm not sure how to fix it. So credit to them. It's a difficult, it's a difficult one to paint yourself out of. You know, I've got very staunch libertarian friends who will talk about, oh, we need to slash budgets and whatnot. We need to get, kill the budgets. We're spending too much. And that's a point I agree with. But unfortunately, if you run on slashing budgets, there's a problem with people. It's like we all want the government to spend less money unless they're spending it on us. You know, the same. it's the same in reverse. Nobody cares about surveillance and facial recognition software. And now finally people are talking about the vaccine passport, which we've been talking about on this show for 12 fucking months. Now finally people are catching up on that aspect but they didn't care about it until it affected them they didn't care about it until you know the sword of Democles was dangling above their head that's when oh wait we should be really upset about it. no you no shit you don't say the same thing applies in reverse to budgets people are more than happy to cut budgets as long as it doesn't take money away from why are you taking my money take that guy's money take that guy's money he's lazy take his money not my money I need my money right so if you run on a platform, which I agree with, of like, you know, extreme government spending cuts, savage cuts is what I believe in. 
you know, really fucking, I, I would be accused of wanting people to die in the streets and shit and all of that kind of garbage. If you knew how much government spending I believe in, which is fucking next to zero. Um, you know, if, if you run on that platform, you'll never win. You'll never get in. And unfortunately, one of the prerequisites of changing a society politically is you have to win elections first. And even then, your chances of actually changing anything are next to nil because of the way we are as people. Fair. That's a ridiculous way to proceed. If you, if you forge a weapon for use in the political battle, don't be surprised if it gets turned against you. Christopher Hitchens. Um, I don't know, madam, if it struck you as it has me. Um, so here's, here's the beautiful part, because they're both right. Peter Hitchens is saying, well, you, if you start, if you forge this weapon politically and you use it, don't be surprised if the other guy snatches it off you and, you know, hits you with it. I, I, that was one piece of advice I got from my old man growing up is, you know, because I got into a fight with somebody and he was in the area, some other kid in the neighborhood. It's like, so this kid in the neighborhood pushed me off my bike and he was down the road a bit, but he could see what was going on. And I was, you know, I was this kind of a kid. Um, so he pushed me off my bike and I went and I grabbed, um, I ripped a branch off a tree and I fucking charged him and started beating him with it. Like on the, I was, I don't know, six or seven years old. Cause I was like, fuck you. <laughs> you know? And he raced up and stopped me and took the branch out of my hand. This kid ran home crying with a bloody, bloody face. But fuck him. He pushed me off my bike. I didn't do anything to this kid. I thought, I'm going to fucking kill this kid, right? So the aggression problems as a little toddler, as a little six or seven-year-old or however old I was. And I went home and he said to me, don't do that. Don't ever do that. And I said, what do you mean? Fuck him. He deserved it. And he said, no, no, no. If you pick something up to hit somebody with, don't be surprised if they take it off you and hit you with it. I was like, well, makes sense. So after that, there was no more... There was no more picking up things and trying to bludgeon people. <laughs> so here you have the point being made by the conservative Peter Hitchens. Don't be surprised if you create a weapon of politics that's used against you. He's right. But then Christopher Hitchens is right in that we were talking about the Una Party on Wednesday night. Christopher Hitchens back then was arguing against the Una Party as a socialist Democrat at the time, writing for Vanity Fair was saying, no, 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 don't, don't just be critical of the Democrats here. Be critical of the Republicans. They're letting Bill Clinton get away with this. Have a look. For battle, don't be surprised if it gets turned against you. Christopher Hitchens. Um, I don't know, madam, if it struck you as it has me um, uh, in this way, but do you notice Mr Gingrich trying to bring the president down? <laughs> do you see, do you sense a desire? Among the the right wingers in the in the House and Senate to get She's rid of to get rid of this line. president, I certainly don't. What has struck me very much for the last four years, since Mr. Gingrich became Speaker, is the is the extraordinary level of collusion between him and the president. Here you have a far left winger, a staunch democratic socialist attacking the Republicans for not being hard enough on the Democratic president. Fucking take me back. Take me back. Well, here's, here's a left-winger who's critical of the Republicans. Big fucking deal. 
here's a left winger of the Republican. Uh, here's a left winger who's being critical of the Republicans because they're not attacking the Democrats hard enough. Well, sign me up. Hello. Hello there. Finally, finally, a man with some sense. <laughs> right? It's one of the reasons why I've always said on this show, it's not me the voter versus you the voter, it's us the voters versus them. These people play golf together. They go to each other's children's brisses together. They go to deputant balls together. They go to cocktail parties together. It's them and you, not me and you. It's them and us, not me versus you. Uh, the extraordinary level of interest they have in common. Uh, it seems to me there's absolutely no right-wing uh, serious attempt to get rid of Clinton and every reason for them to hope that he serves out his full term. So that's to put what you say in general context. There was no real right-wing push to get rid of Bill Clinton. Uh, just like the quote-unquote real right-wing of 2016 were all coming out in support of Hillary fucking Clinton. Because Hillary Clinton did not represent, you know, this sharp move to the far left as certain people were representing. That was plainly false, clearly false. It never, it never has been true. Monica, uh, Monica, uh, Hillary Clinton has always been basically like a hawkish kind of neocon type character. She represents uh, the continuation of the military-industrial complex. She represents the acceleration of the surveillance state, and she represented um, corruption at the highest levels. Just like the top of the Republican Party. Just like them. Just like them. And take me back when you were able to say so. On the, on, I'm more sympathetic to what you said earlier. I mean... If the worst that can be said of Clarence Thomas is true, then he talked... I, I mean, you know, during the 2016 election, all of, you know, George Bush and all of the rest of the establishment Republicans were saying, you need to vote for Hillary Clinton. Glenn fucking Beck, ladies and gentlemen. Glenn Beck. Uh, you need to vote for Hillary Clinton. Don't vote for this Donald Trump guy. And now what? look at what's happened since Biden won the election. The first ones to come out and say, you know what, we need to put all this behind us. We need to... We need to work together. Uh, Mitch fucking McConnell, right? The, sa the same characters are still around. They're still around. Some things never change. In a, in a coarse manner to one of his um, subordinates. It, um, it, is, it, is not, it is not alleged of him that he propositioned anybody at any time. There you um, go. But I don't agree with Peter. On and... and, and you know, perhaps that's a good note. Uh, good note. A good note to end on tonight as well. There you have a democratic socialist, ladies and gentlemen, defending Clarence Thomas. Tell me, tell me when that has happened in the last 10, 15, 20 years. So that brings us to the end of our two-part show here. If you missed part one, go back and watch it. The replay is on YouTube. Um. So much to get out of that. We will do something like this again in the future, I think. I, I hope you enjoyed it. If you weren't around during 1998, I hope you got something out of that. Maybe a little bit of a new perspective or whatnot. I'm not trying to be the fucking wise guru or anything here. I'm just showing you a clip that I watched from... A lot of it came flooding back to me as well while I was watching it. 
And I was just trying to share the, the, the kind of same journey I went on when I was watching this clip earlier in the week. And I hope you got something out. If you were around back then, uh, you know, I hope the member berries were juicy and tasty and flavoursome. You know, like I said, patches of the member berries were juicy and tender and flavoursome for me. But there were a couple that were missing. We'll do something like this in the future. And like, you know, I know Winning TV, for example, big, big political nerd like myself. So maybe in the future we can do some kind of historical uh, clip, some kind of reference from, you know, a, a time gone by. We can maybe get uh, Winning TV on. We can get James R on. We can get a couple of other people on to talk about what what it was like for them when this was happening and do they see any parallels because when I watch this clip and I'll put this actually I'll put the clip in the chat for you now because when I watched this the other day I was I, the hour went by so quickly I know we've spent four hours on it now <laughs> but the hour went by so quickly when I was watching it and I was remembering so many things and thinking oh shit nothing has really changed in that respect you know all that kind of stuff so we will do something like that in the future but Thank you, everybody, for joining us over this two-part series. Appreciate it. Uh, don't forget, later on tonight, Coffee Talk with Sandra, uh, Irrational Times, who dropped in earlier, Winning TV tomorrow, at Real Person PLTCS later tonight. I think everybody's favourite lover of French women might be around. I'm not sure. I'm missing a lot of shows lately because of work, so apologies. Uh, I know that Joy of Pessy is going to be doing something. Uh, I don't know what. But he'll, he'll be around, dlive.tv slash joyofpessy. Major Tom will be around as well at some point over the weekend. Uh, Rusty, the Iceman, the Rice Man, double four, double three, he'll be around. And all of our other friends. Don't forget all of our other friends as well. So thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you to everyone who contributed on DLive. Thank you to everyone who contributed on Streamlabs. And until next time, happy Easter. Yes. Uh, until next time, stay calm, stay rational. God bless and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.